0: Welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico educators from every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice and even share the lessons they have learned along their teacher journeys. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. Make sure to look out for my teacher-to-teacher email in your school inbox with important announcements and opportunities from the PED. In this episode, we head down to Las Cruces to catch up with David Morales, the 2016 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. David is an enlace teacher at Mayfield High School. He talks with us about what the past few months have been like for educators.
1: We are all first-year teachers again, and we're having to learn. The lockdown was our student teaching. We were learning, trying to figure out how we could do it. And some of us are going to excel, and some of us are going to struggle, and that's okay. It's going to be okay to struggle. It's going to be okay to figure it out.
0: David will talk about how he makes incredible connections with his students and shares his own inspiring story of how he went from fighting to graduate high school himself to being among the top teachers in the country. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with one of New Mexico's teacher leaders. Welcome David Morales, our New Mexico 2016 Teacher of the Year. I'm telling you, listeners, you will laugh, you will cry, and you will be inspired all at the same time um, by David words. <laughs> you George.
1: will be something for sure. <laughs>
0: So David, just start out by telling us a little about your teaching story. How did you get into teaching? What inspired you to take on this profession?
1: So I went to Booker T Elementary Elementary School here in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which was at one point a segregation school um, here in Las Cruces. And it wasn't that case. It wasn't that when I went to school there, but um, it was the barrio school. It was a school for the kids from you know, the barrio. I lived, I lived on Mesquite Street or right off of it on Juniper, right in the heart of his, what is now considered historic Las Cruces, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, you know, came with a lot of, there were a lot of families who didn't have a lot of money, but had a lot of heart and really cared about their kids. So when I went to school, I was really lucky. I, I never, you know, in elementary school, most of my teachers were people of color. My elementary school teacher, my kindergarten teacher was a black female lady who was tough as nails and I got what I deserved from her because I was travieso and I like to do a lot of mensadas. And all through elementary, all my teachers were teachers of color. Ms. Parra, Ms. Garcia, you know, Ms. Leyva, Mr. Olguin, you know, Mr. Padilla, Ms. Telles, you know, so all these teachers, kind of for, you know and I was in a bilingual program so you know it was a maintenance program so I maintained the language that I that I learned how to say I love you in and how I heard my mom tell me she loved me in. Um, but I also learned English because my mom made it real clear that hey, from the door inside it was Mexico. We are going to remember who we are, where we come from, because I'm very proud of that. My mom made sure I knew that. And from but from the door outside, you better learn English because that's the language we do commerce in. That's the language that you're going to learn in. And no, vale más que no te hagan menso. nobody better make you their idiot because you don't understand something. So I had all these great role models coming up now in middle school you know, and I, when I, when I do my speaking engagements, I share this a lot. You know, I discovered that there were girls and girls didn't like nerds. When I was in elementary, I was a nerd. You know, I was, back then it was the advanced educational program. It was AEP, not AES. And, you know, they used to take me in a taxi from the elementary school to the, to the middle school. So I could take advanced classes. And I figured out real quick that, you know, the girls didn't dig that. They wanted guys that were cool. And I was this vato from the hood and I could be cool. So I kind of started drifting away from school and I I really didn't care about it. I did enough in middle school to get by because I was deathly afraid of my mom, like always. Um, And my dad too, you know, my dad was quiet, but you know, if he ever got involved, I was in it man. it was deep. Then when I got to high school, you know, I really fell off you know, started skipping school, started hanging out with the homies, you know, and I had great friends, you know, the type of friends that'll lay down on train tracks for you. But they weren't the best as far as being positive academic role models. They weren't gonna be the homies that, hey man, did you do your homework last night? Is it, nah. So I I got a job because I needed to help out at home you know I had a girlfriend at the time so I had to pay for the car to be able to go see her and you know be able to pay off you know help out mom and dad with a little bit of the bills at home because mom made a conscious decision to stay at home and make sure that she was there for us which sometimes was crazy because man she was tough so make it going through high school you know getting Fs here and there not because I was dumb but because I was bored and you know I remember having a history teacher who literally lined up paper packets on a table by the door and as we walked in he said pick those up you get your book from under the desk answer the questions and that's it and then he would crack open his newspaper and that was our class period. So my senior year December, you know, I'm tired and, you know, I play soccer. So I've been doing a lot of that, but I'm not paying attention to school and my counselor calls me. Now, throughout my entire middle school and high school career, I really went from having these teachers of color to not having teachers of color. You know, it, it completely shifted. I think in my middle school and between my middle school and high school career, with all the class periods in the day, I might have had two or three teachers of color and, or teachers that understood Spanish or administrators that understood the language and the culture where I was coming from, you know, that had grown up in it. And not to say that the teachers I had were horrible, you know, because a lot of that was, were, my, were the decisions I was making. But, you know, it was crazy. So December of my senior year, I'm halfway through my senior year, the counselor calls me and Mr. Randy Paz. Um, I actually got to be his colleague for a little while. He calls me in and he tells me, hey, man, you're not going to graduate. That's the first thing he says. And I'm going, what? What do you mean I'm not going to graduate? Because even within my group of friends, man, you had to be some kind of special dummy not to graduate from high school. At least we should be able to do that. You know, at least that was the thinking with our friends because we all knew each other. We all knew, you know. For all, for us, although we might not have had a lot of means, we had parents that cared for us, that pushed us, that pushed education, that really cared about it. You know, my parents loved it. So when I was in middle school and high school, you know, when the counselors would call my parents in to talk about, you know, my grades and all that, I was the translator. So I always made sure that I always came out in a positive light. Hey. Mrs. Morales, you know, David is doing this, that, and the other, and my mom would say, "Qué dijo?" And I would say, "No." In Spanish, I would say, "No." Dice que estoy haciendo muy bien. That I'm doing really great. That I'm awesome. You know. So I always played that card. So Mr. Paz, when he called me in in December, he knew Spanish. So we talked, and he told me, and goes, "Hey, man, you're gonna." I go, "What do I? What do I need to do?" Or you know, "You're crazy. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna graduate." And he said, "Yeah, you're. You're not." And he left it at that. And I remember it was a Thursday and I get home. I'm driving my 1963 Super Supersport and I pull it up in front of the house. And my mom was one of those people that was moving all the time. She was, there was always something to do. There was work to get done. So she was always moving, doing this, that, or the other. So when I get home and I walk in the door, it just happened that the, the sofa was facing the front door and I open the door and she's sitting down and I'm thinking, oh, crap. And she says, Me hablo, Mr. Paz. Oh, man. But nothing frightened me like my mom. She had it. She knew exactly how to push my buttons and scare me. So when she said that, the bottom fell out of my stomach. I felt like vomiting. I was like, oh, man. And she tells me to sit down. She gets up on the couch and she walks to the bedroom. She tells me to stay put. When she comes back, she's holding this little box little jewelry box. Now, my mom used to make tortillas for the burrito lady, all right, that would go and sell them at a construction site. And she would make three, four, five, twelve, twenty 12, 20 dozens every morning. Three, four in the morning, she's up, she's rolling them out. She's doing, she's cooking them and she gives them to the burrito lady. So the burrito lady has them fresh when she takes them home, makes the burritos and then go sells them. So that's how she was making her money. That's how my mom was hustling at home. She opened up this little jewelry box. And she goes, I guess I'm going to have to return this. And she had bought me a class ring. And I was, damn. <sighs> she didn't cry. She didn't pout. She didn't whine. She didn't complain to me. She snapped it shut. She goes, I guess I'm going to have to return it. And she walked back to the bedroom. Now I had to get to work. I had worked at four and school ended at 315. So usually I hauled butt home, changed, got in my car, took off to work. But that day I was late because of that. And on the way to work, I'm, you know, I'm bumming out. I'm like, man, it's not enough for her to get mad at me. You know, that, that I'm used to, but to see the look of disappointment in her face, especially after all the potential that I supposedly had. So next morning at 730, I'm at school and I'm waiting in front of boss's office. And I go, hey, what do I need to do? What do I got to do to graduate? Because I got to graduate. I'll do whatever it takes. It was all right. We had six periods during the day at that time. So I took a zero hour. I took my six classes and then two night school classes. I was on a competitive soccer team. Like we were nationally ranked, I think. We were pretty good. We competed at state. We did we did really good. And I didn't want to lose my spot. So I talked to my coach and we used to practice four days a week. And I told him, look, man, I'm not going to be here Tuesdays and Thursdays because I got to go to night school. And he goes, all right, if anybody outworks you out, hustles you out, whatever, they're going to take your spot. And I go, all right. Fair enough. So I busted my butt. Nobody ever took my spot, because I knew how to work when it was something I wanted. So the next semester, I'm busting butt, man. I'm doing my soccer stuff. I'm working. I'm still working forty hours a week because of most of my my so I worked Friday nights, Saturdays, Saturday during the day, and then Sundays. I used to I used to work doubles. So Saturday mornings, I convinced my coach to see if they could schedule all those soccer games before noon, so that I could play and then go to work in the afternoon. So I could still make enough money to be able to do what I wanted to do. So I could have still have a girlfriend. So I could still have the car, all of that stuff. So, you know, I had two teachers, Mr. Hackney and Miss Underwood. Mr. Hackney was just tough. He, he just, he always used to tell me, he goes, you're always going to make time for the things you want to do. One day in the fall, he actually took me out into the hallway, grabbed me by the chest and pushed me up against the wall, which, you know, today was, oh my God, you could never even think about doing that. You know, I was about 130 pounds soaking wet, but I was a tough guy, so I puffed out my chest. And what are you thinking? And as soon as I started to talk, he goes, why are you letting those guys in there make you dumb? And he deflated me. To this day, it sits with me. The other teacher was Miss Underwood. So Miss Underwood would always tell me, hey, I believe in you. You can do it. I know you can. And she was so nice. And, and I would, like, in the fall, you know, when I was, th- I was failing her class. I would, like, pat her on the shoulder and, like, almost like I felt sorry for her. Oh, Ms. Underwood, thank you for trying. You're so awesome. So I'm busting it, man. I've got my, all my eight classes and my nine classes that I'm taking. I'm doing soccer. I'm doing work. We're getting close to about spring break time, and I'm tired. I'm, like, legit tired. Even for somebody like me who's, like, ah crazy all the time, I'm getting spent. And we had taken this, it I must have been like a unit test or a midterm exam or something in Miss Underwood's class. And we were in these traditional rows. And I sat about three seats back from the front. And she's walking up and down the roads and she's slamming the papers down from the test, face down on the desks. And I'm thinking in my head, if I didn't do well on this, if I, if I flunked this, I'm out, I'm done. I'm just going to pick up my stuff and I'm going to walk out. My brother had dropped out, my my oldest brother, and my mom didn't kill him. So I knew I would live. I knew it'd be tough, but man, I was, it was, I was done. And she got to me. And she put it down, face up, and on it was this big red letter A. And as she walked past me, on my left shoulder with her left hand, she patted me. And she just said, I knew you could do it. So I asked her, hey, Ms. Underwood, can I go to the bathroom? She said, yeah. And got to the bathroom, checked all the stalls, made sure the bathroom was empty and I ugly cried into the mirror. Like snot bubbles, the whole thing, resollando. <sighs> got myself together, washed my face, got back into class and she, you know, cause I couldn't do that in front of the, the, the class, not in front of those schools, man, forget that. They don't know me. And I get into the class and she goes, are you all right? And I go, absolutely. And I sit down and you know, I play it off. It was that moment that solidified the fact that I was gonna graduate from high school. The fact that she took the time to care, the fact that she graded it, the fact that she made that A bigger than any F that I had ever gotten. That was the culmination of who she was as a teacher and what she did for me. She saved my life. So I go on and I graduate. And, man, cloud nine. I mean, I barely make it. You know, some of my teachers had to have gave me a pass just to get me out. But, you know, I end up with five A's, two B's, and a C. The best grades I've ever had since elementary school. Go to college right after that. You know, I'm going to be a water technician. My girlfriend breaks up with me, brokenhearted, Start having a couple of root beers with my friends down at the river. And then eventually a few root beers turns into a lot of root beers. And I end up figuring out that maybe, just maybe, I have a problem. So when I'm 21, I I quit drinking. While I was drinking, you know, and I don't know if this is, this matters, but I hope it's okay for your listeners. But my best friend gets pregnant with my baby. I end up doing a lot of dumb, dumb things. And I end up moving to L.A. I stay there for a few months, I come back, I see my baby girl be born and it changes me. Four months later, and we're learning how to be a couple, we're learning how to be parents, we're learning how to do all that, and we just start trying to figure it all out. It takes me seven years to get back into school. I come home one day, because I was a bartender, an alcoholic as a bartender, there you go, recovering there. But that's microcosm of my life right there. And I remember coming home and my wife had decided to go back to school and I supported that yeah absolutely so it's the fall semester and she's going to school and I'm coming home after 11 o'clock at night after closing down the bar or whatever and I look at it, seeing what she's doing and I go man I could do that so in the spring I sign up and I start going to school I had been coaching soccer once I sobered up I had started coaching soccer and and, and coaching my kids teams and then I ended up at a couple of high schools and I ended up at Oñate High School of all places and and I saw those kids and they reminded me of me. And I thought, man, if I would have just had somebody that could have told me in a real way something that I would have believed and respected in a real way that I would have said, hey, listen, dummy, if you do this. This is where you're going to end up. Maybe I would have been I would have made some different choices. And that started the cycle of me thinking, "Man, maybe I could be a teacher. Maybe that would be all right. Hmm. So when I went back to school, I knew. I'm going to be a teacher. So I went through school. I did really well, thank God. You know, I ended up graduating with like a 3.96 GPA because my wife and I were like, it was a competition. The classes that we took together, she always got like, she always ended up like a 3.97 and I would get a 3.95. If I wasn't getting a grade or if she wasn't getting a grade, the challenge was, "Hey man, why you could be at work? You could be taking the care- t- taking care of the kids. We could be doing something else instead of wasting our time with this, so we need to make sure that whatever we're doing at school, it is a priority, and we are knocking it out of the park. It cannot be halfway, so we did that, we both graduated, she graduated a year before me, I started working as a teacher at that at that point. I'm doing my student teaching, you know last week of school or whatever we do those those uh those big interviews, you know, the the job fair things, and you interview for a bunch of different places. There were, I was offered positions in Deming, at Guadalajara High School in El Paso, in Alamogordo, in Hatch, and I had to tell them, you know, hey, so I'm doing all these interviews this week, I'll let you know by Friday, I have to talk it over with my wife, make sure she's good with it, because if she's happy, I'm happy. And so, I'm thinking, all right, you know, I've got these offers. I'm going to, I'm blessed. Thank God, you know, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to start working soon and I'll have a paycheck, which is important. And on Thursday night, the Thursday before I had to let any everybody know, the position at Mayfield High School opened up. And they called me and said, hey, would you like to interview for a position at Mayfield High School? Now, Mayfield High School is my home school. That's the school where Mr. Paz told me I wasn't going to graduate, where Ms. Underwood saved my life. And I told my wife, I gotta do it. And she goes, you're gonna give up four guaranteed jobs for one that you might get on Tuesday. And I go, I have to, those are my kids. They come from my barrio, they come from the place where I grew up. Those, are, those kids in there are me. She said, all right. So if there was any, ever any question about why I married her or why I'm with her today, I mean, that one moment says it all. So when I went into my interview, they called me back and guess who opens the door? Miss Underwood so she interviews me along with the committee and you know I think all right you know we'll see they close the door we, I walk outside and as I'm driving I'm getting into my car I get a phone call and it's Miss Underwood and she says, I can't tell you this officially but we're gonna offer you the position be expecting a call tonight from the district Thank you Miss Underwood hang up and I ugly ugly cry again second time she's done that to me When she retired, I was lucky enough to be her colleague for a few years. When she retired, you know, everybody was talking about her, and I was the last one to speak, and I kind of snuck up behind her. And I told her the story about her saving my life. I told her the story about how, had it not been for her, I wouldn't have a job. But I told her that I hoped and I prayed that someday, maybe, just maybe, that I'd have the impact on somebody's life the way she had on mine. that's how I got into teaching, and that's why I continue to teach. Because maybe, just maybe, I might say the thing that matters that one time. Whoo! Thank you. Oh, man. <laughs> it's been a little while since I've said that story.
0: Well, I, and I think you've done that. I mean, some of the stories that you have about your students, I think you, I think you've more than done that, David. And I think, I think you have a whole bunch of kids down there in Las Cruces who are so grateful. Um what was that first position that you had?
1: Oh, I'm I'm a social studies teacher by trade, so I was in the history department. I taught New Mexico history. The first year was mandated by the state legislature. So, thank you to the state legislature for making New Mexico history a requirement because that's what got me the job. And then little by little I I grew into other things. So,
0: that's quite a story. An awesome story. And thank you uh, thank you Ms. Underwood. I, <laughs> <laughs> there's,
1: there's a whole lot of pieces in there that I we could be here for hours. I could tell you a whole lot of other
0: stuff. Can you kind of talk about how you have kind of kept that going with ENLACE and the goals that you're achieving right. with your students?
1: So ENLACE stands for Engaging Latino Communities for Education. Initially, it was started with the Kellogg Foundation grant here in New Mexico. I think it was 2000 or 2001. And there was a pot of money given to the state, the, uh, the, the state organization, and, or this, yeah, the state organization that started uh, Enlace. And then it was divided up into five regions. So we have five regions across the state, and we still do, by the way, um, with the central region being kind of our headquarters. And I started teaching in 2005. In 2007, I was approached because the Enlace teacher at Mayfield was gonna be stepping away from Enlace. So when I was approached by it, I said, hey, you guys really got to let me know, because if I'm going to commit to this, I, I need to know what I'm getting into. You know, I'm barely two years in. So, you know, I'm still somewhat in survival mode, trying to just I'm trying to figure out how to teach. And then you want me to teach this program? So they came in, talked to me, interviewed me. And, you know, we came to a mutual agreement that, yeah, this is something I really wanted to do. So in lastly, what it does is it it harvests the culture of the students to use it as a strength instead of a detriment. We teach to the kids where they are, not where we wish they were. We, we use their funds of knowledge. We take in everything and all their experiences and use it as a point of strength instead of a point of weakness. Our number one rule, our only rule in the class is we are family because everything else comes from that. And family isn't easy. Family is tough. Family is challenging. Family is people telling you what you don't want to hear and maybe hurting you in a way that no one else possibly can. So we, we really work towards that. Luckily, God willing, this year, we're going to have, out of the seven courses, seven classes we have, we have we're on a seven-period schedule, I'm going to be teaching six enlace classes, two level ones slash level twos, two level threes, and two level fours and each level has its own component or its own curriculum so level 1 is all about creating that foundation you know figuring out who we are culturally and what does culture mean and is culture synonymous with with ethnicity you know what what does that look like how do we how do we you know what are those intersectionalities look like what what is it to mean to be this, that, and the other, and how does that influence my life? And how can I use that as a place to create empathy and compassion for somebody else that might not be anything like me, but because I understand how things can combine, I might be able to understand that person a little bit better. Now, so the first few years, um, it was limited to Latino students on, um, because until the Kellogg Foundation grant, because the intent was to increase Latino graduation rates. Now it's open to anyone. At our school, the way we look at and accept students is our current students, our level one students, after they've been in program for about, for like three quarters of the year, they actually go and present to other classes, talk about what Enlace is, what it's done for them, how it helps them, uh, and what the challenges are within it. And then they ask kids to sign up for interviews. This year, we were lucky enough to interview almost 200 students for 50 spots. And the kids do the interviews. We come up with a, with an interview format and a questionnaire, run it through my administration because I don't want them to get blindsided. And we ask the kids about, you know, hey, you know, how involved are you in school? What does school mean to you? And then, according, you know, we do a, a whole training on how do we score it. <laughs> and then, and then we, we get all the scores down. And then we go kid by kid because there's some kids that don't interview well and then the students in the class have the opportunity to argue or lobby for that student. So they have to make these decisions. The final decision is mine, but the class as a whole selects their 25. So there's two level one classes, so each one selects 25, and that's how we pick the kids. Once the kids are in, then it becomes, what is this about? Why do you care? Uh, In all our classes, we do, uh, we call it circle, the restorative circles every friday so every either every other friday or every friday we sit down and we talk about what's going on some of them are academic hey tell me what it would feel like to to get a great grade in class and what is you know what is it that you need to do to uh, to achieve that some of them are very personal talk to me about a time where you felt challenged and you overcame that and some of the things the kids share are unbelievable i once heard a, at a training the presenter said, you know, when kids say that, when parents say that, say something so profound and so deep, it's our job to make sure we catch it before it hits the ground and shatters. And then pick it up and hold it and make sure that it stays near and dear to us. Because that's, those are the moments that make it possible for us to then expect something from the kids. You know, we talk a lot about in our class about you know, I have to make a lot of deposits before I can expect a withdraw. I gotta make sure that when I talk to my kids, that I share with them who I am and I share the story that you just shared with you about why I became a teacher. I tell them about, you know, my kids know that I've been in recovery for over 25 years. My kids know that stuff about me. And some kids, some teachers are uncomfortable with that. And I completely understand that. But if I want my kids to get to the point where I can expect things from them, they need to know who I am, and they have, to, they have to have the goods on me a little bit, if for lack of a better word, in order to be able to say, hey, look, I shared this with you, so I need you to make sure you go talk to that teacher and take care of this, whatever that might be. Nate Bowling calls teachers nerd farmers. I love the fact that, yeah, I, I see myself as a nerd farmer. My job isn't necessarily to get a kid from reading level here to reading level you know, up here to, to grow three or four reading levels. My job is to get the kid motivated enough that they want to do that, that they want to get the grades that they should get so that they can use that as a tool to get to wherever they want to get to. Next, because they have to have the ganas first. They have to have the will to do it. Because if they don't have the will to do it, I don't care how much you push, prod, You can't take a horse to water and make them drink. I love that saying. But my job is to take the horse to water and make it thirsty. Because I'm going to make you thirsty. I'm going to make you want to do this. Because if for nobody else, for me, because if there's nobody else in your life that cares about you, I do. If there's nobody else telling you that you are loved, I will. Because that's what matters for all the teaching, for all the stuff that we want to get across to kids. They have to know that they're cared for first before they're willing to open up and even accept that. And some kids, it's tough. Some of my kids don't get it till the last day. Some kid, a kid this year, when when we went into lockdown, you know, she told me straight out, she goes, I didn't get it until right now, until I didn't, until I'm not sure I'm going to have it anymore. I go, it's all right. I'm still here. So with Enlace, we've been really lucky. You know, we have over 90% graduation rate. We haven't had a dropout in a while, but we have kids who, who really work hard at it. They really want to try to do it, but it's my job to make sure they get through those doors. Story time. Sorry. I know you're, uh, you're going to have to edit this a lot. <laughs>
0: Don't worry.
1: One of my best moments in teaching, it's one of my first and last classes. It must be my second or third year teaching it. And, you know, we're doing uh, memory association poems uh, where, you know, you, you talk about, you know, you have to mention, you know, what the memory Tastes like, sounds like, feels like one of my students is talking about how mom and dad have been fighting a lot. You know, this day, dad grabs older brother and her and throws him in the car. They're living in Alamogordo at the time. Dad's pissed off. I'm not sure if he's been drinking or not or whatever, but he's angry and the kids are like freaking out. And she said, I was crying. I didn't know what to do. And that dad finally had it pulled over halfway here past the white, s- past white sands and all that. And told him to get out. He's 11, she's nine, and he drives off. She's keeping it together, which I I don't know how she's doing that. In my class, you can't cry. You have to make your eyes big because if you cry, you know, you can't do it. You know, you got to be tough. So you make your eyes big because that stops the tears from coming out. So everybody's like this with their eyes all wide open. And this kid looks at her and he, he goes, Can I tell you something? And she said, Yeah. She was one of our first white girls in our class. And he gets up, and he goes, can I give you a hug? And she said, yeah, this little Latino kid. And he goes, I never knew white people had problems. And he hugs her, and they're both bawling. They're still friends till today. Um, she became a teacher. He's a barber. Um, has a wonderful, they both have kids. And I'll see their communications back and forth on Facebook or whatever. And it, wow. Wow. Teaching, man. And that's it.
0: Yeah. wouldn't it be great if every student had that experience in school like had a class where they could have that experience it just seems like we have to make changes in education to give our students that they need that they need to express themselves to connect with each other imagine how much change we could do for so many students if we had if they all had that opportunity
1: yeah it's tough man it is it, it, it but it's worth it's worth the work it, it really is. It, it, and I, I don't want to paint, you know, it, it doesn't work for everybody. I, I, I will say that. But most of my kids will tell you that their experience, because it's not about what I do. it's It becomes about, you know, at first I'm, the, at first I'm, I'm up front telling me, hey, do this, do that, do that. By the end of the year, I'm like a second thought. It's almost like I don't exist. I just provide them the space to do what they're going to do and what they need to get done and accomplished. It, it's crazy. You know, so level one learns about themselves. Level three, which is the next level, which is weird. They do an action research project. They study a, an issue in their community and they, they study and and they, they usually present to other, to the other schools and then community members and school board members. And They've done a great job with that. And then level four is all about applying for college and, or the military or community college or technical school or what they're going to do afterward.
0: David, you always amaze me with your stories and I feel like you're just this master of creating relationships with your students. So, you know, as we get ready to go back in this hybrid model, what advice do you have for teachers and starting those relationships with their students when they're, when a lot of it is going to be online?
1: I think we have to be cognizant that the kids are coming from a different place and we have to own that first. And so it, I, I think it's going to take a little bit longer for me The online stuff, I I don't let my kids, like when we do Zoom, I try not to let them wear hats. I I, I try to ask them to have their cameras on at least, you know, part of the time because I'm trying to read those physical cues also. So when I read that, you know, like in my classroom, that's the first thing I notice, you know, hey, so-and-so's, you know, all right, her head's down and, you know, he looks like a little upset, you know, and try to read all of that. It's really difficult in this environment to do that. But that doesn't mean we can't try. And it doesn't mean that we don't ask those pointed questions, those, those questions that are going to draw out responses that matter. You know, whether it be in the assignments we give, whether it be in maybe, maybe there's, there's a discussion that we can have online, that we can talk about stuff that I know people are afraid of getting into tough, controversial conversations. But most kids... And not all. I I mean, there's always the exception to the rule, but most kids will respect the conversation if you've been willing to make the investment first. So when I talk about making deposits before withdrawals, I'm talking about, hey, so this is how we're going to do this. We're going to start off real simple. Does (laughs) I, I posted this online the other day and it started this great debate. So does a straw have two holes? And it's stuff like that that really gets kids going, but it's not controversial. It's not going to cause them this irreparable harm or, or, you know, get them all scared, but it'll start the conversation. And then we can talk about, hey, this is how we have respectful conversations. This is how, you know, we share this. In my class, I tell them, I don't want you posting anything about our class outside of here. I don't want that because anything can be taken out of context and made to look good or bad. So we need to be really careful with that. Same thing goes, holds true for our discussions here. So please respect that. If I hear that we're doing that, then we can't have those type of conversations. We, we continued, even in, in lockdown, for the kids that would, that would make it to our Zoom meetings because some had to work, some had to do all that stuff. We continued our circles. The only difference was is I told them, I'm going to have to call on you because you guys can't see everybody's in different orders on everybody else's screen. I go, so I'm going to call on you. or we can play tag. You get to call on the next person. Look at the screen, see their name, call on them, and then they have to go. Now, you don't have to respond. You can always say you pass. You can always do all that. That's fine. I need to hear your name, and I need to hear you say, hey, I'm passing today, so that I can hear you and that you know you've been heard. And I think it's really important that you tell kids that. You know, I tell my kids, okay, so I tell my kids I love them. A lot of teachers are really uncomfortable with that. And it can be misconstrued. So we changed that. My kids and I modified that, and we say, I love you in a school appropriate way. And the kids, it's crazy in their movies that they made at the end of the year, most of them at the end, I love you in a school appropriate way. I love that. Because it matters, because they might not hear that. And that doesn't mean that they don't have parents that don't love them or anything like that, but they might not just, they might not hear it from anybody else. They might not, and they might. They might have parents that love them to the ends of the earth and do everything for them, and good for them. But what if they don't? I'd rather err on the side of caution and saying, hey, look, I'd rather you hear it too much than not enough. At the same time, how do we hold them accountable? How do we make sure that I tell them, listen, this isn't good enough. We can do better than this. We can do better than this. What is it that we need to work on? And the kids will step up. When I was teaching New Mexico and I've done U.S. and I've taught a couple of other ones, it was the same thing. It was asking them, what do you think? And letting them share out and letting them be part of the conversation, letting them talk to each other about it. And then, hey, so bring it back. What are we talking about here? You know, because I think we get caught up so much in, hey, we got to deliver the content. We got to make sure that they're getting this. We're getting that. We're doing this. We're doing that. You know what? My parents, my dad had an eighth grade education. He was probably the smartest person I knew. My mom made it through elementary school. Wonderful human beings, great people, the kind of people that everybody wanted to be like. My dad was a genius, period. Taught himself English. He, he would order records. He lived in a a ranch 60 miles south of Juarez. They had a vitrola, the crank-up record players. He would order records in English so he could teach himself, so he could start learning how to read the manuals in English for the Ford company so he could become a Ford-certified technician. When he retired, his nickname was El Maestro. So when people start worrying so much about, a content this, content that, I get it. We want our kids to be fluid and fluent in that. We want them to understand, you know, all the stuff. But we can't do that at the expense of treating them like human beings and children and kids and people who want to, who should want to learn. And if we teach them how to want to learn or make them interested in the stuff that we're trying to to make them do, and tell them why we're doing that, you know, I, I I've worked as a teacher mentor in the past and and worked with with new teachers and they get so caught up and I need to make sure I get through this unit. And then when I say, well, why, what is it about this unit that's going to fundamentally change their existence? You know, they get a little stuck. And I said, okay, so is it the unit itself or is it that you want to teach them the proper work ethic to make sure that they're continuing to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. Because that's a life skill that they're going to carry on forever. Are you teaching them something in this history book or in this science book or in this math book that they're going to be able to utilize, if not directly, maybe indirectly? Is that what you're trying to teach? Or are you trying to teach the unit and get through the content? Because I think I'd rather have a teacher teaching my kids why it matters to know this and how you can utilize this later and use it as maybe it's just a stepping stone. You need to know this so because you need to know the next thing. But if when we articulate that and tell the kids that, it's amazing how much more how much more they're receptive they are to that, to any of our content. When we're talking about reopening and building relationships, I think communication is going to be huge. Being able to read the kids, talk to the kids, communicate with the kids, communicate with the parents, which is wow at the high school level that was the most i'd communicated with parents in a long time like and i talked to my parents a bit but i mean it it matters you know i asked them okay what's one thing i'm doing right right now because i would ask them hey what 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 am i doing wrong and they would tell me this this okay all right stop what's something i'm doing right and they said you know we look to you as as a fountain of reliable information You tend to look at stuff and read it and try to figure out whether it's accurate or not. And then you tell us kids are always looking for that. They're looking for somebody to be truth tellers to them. They, they need because they live in a world where anything can be manipulated to be untrue. Be honest with your kids. You know, it's, 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 constant communication trying to figure it out and some of the kids aren't going to reply to that they're not going to respond to that they they're just not they're not they might not be wired that way but that doesn't mean i don't try and i don't keep communicating because what if it is working but they just don't know how to respond love your kids tell them in a school appropriate way make sure they know where they land with you and make sure you keep that positive make sure they understand that You are there for them, not the other way around. We need to make sure we prioritize them and make sure that they are the focus of what we're doing. And when we do that, everything else tends to melt away somewhat.
0: A lot of the focus and the consideration is about the students, right? Making sure they're okay, making sure we're seeing where they're at, making sure we know where they need Mm -hmm. to go. But let's turn to teachers because some teachers have really been struggling with this. And they're, you know, they're just have been overwhelmed and it doesn't really look like it's going to get easier heading into the fall with hybrid model and not being able to be themselves and being in their classroom, being with their kids. What should we be doing to help teachers in this moment?
1: So I'm scared. You know, I'll be honest with you. If, if we go back, I'm, I'm, I am scared. I'm one of those teachers that has a condition that makes me a little bit more prone my wife is too and she's a first grade teacher my father-in-law's 82 years old so it, it is a real concern for us but let's say but let's say we're going back okay so we're we're going back and we're doing a hybrid model and we're seeing the kids a couple of days a week or maybe once a week depending on the schedule and all that first of all the time that we spend face to face with the kids has to be Valuable to the kids and to you as a as a professional. It has to be something that we have to feed the kids what they need as far as as far as their education, their their own needs. And I think by doing that, most teachers will feed off of that too, because I think what a lot of every teacher I've ever met that loves what they're doing does it because of the kids, right? We need to support our teachers as much as possible. Once the, the students are out of the equation and we're, we're, we're doing our planning and we're setting up our, our classrooms and we're doing all that, we have to make sure that we, one, have an understanding of administration, you know, starting with building administration all the way through district and, and up to, through the state, that understand that not every teacher is wired to work in the environment that we're going to be working in, you know. Most of the time that we're going to be working, we're going to be working in this fashion, you know, we're going to be working from home. We're going to be doing all this other stuff. We're going to be working with Canvas. You know, I've been lucky enough to be able to do some of the trainings for, for Canvas beginner for some of our teachers in the district, and they're, they're scared. You know, we have our older teachers who, who may have started, you know, back with the Rizzo machines, and now they're in their 35th year, and they're having to learn a new system, and they're doing it because they care about the kids, and they care about their own safety. So they're trying to figure that out. So So now one of my big issues with testing back in the day uh, in the previous administration was that, you know, when we when we moved our testing to an online platform and not only were we having to teach the kids the stuff for the test, but we had to teach them how to take the test. So now they're learning two things, not, you know, it's like saying, hey, build something, but you also have to learn how to use the tool that you're going to use to build it. So. I think that's a real stressor, and that's something that's really overwhelming a lot of teachers. How do I do this? I've never done this before. And teachers are probably some of the most adaptable people on the planet, and if they're scared, it's a big deal. Most teachers are willing to, like, all right, you know, well, we got to do it, so let's let's knock it out. You know, you posted something not too long ago about the legislature, and I replied to it. And I don't know if you remember that, if you saw that, but you know Everybody asked us to reinvent teaching in three weeks and we did it, we did it. And so we hope that everybody else now has the compassion and the empathy to look at what we're doing and saying, all right, we're gonna cut you some slack. We need you, we want you guys to figure it out. And that they give us the professional courtesy to be able to discover how to do that on our own. Because each one of us, just like in our face-to-face classrooms, is going to have to discover how to do it this way too everybody has become a first year teacher again everybody and i don't know if you remember your first year but i do
0: (laughs) i wouldn't want to go back to it
1: (laughs) deer in the headlights like oh my god this is what teaching is how come they didn't teach me because you can't you can't teach somebody what do you do when the kid throws you know have you ever read teacher man if you ever get a chance read teacher man it's it's great it's by the author of angela's ashes so he was the New York State Teacher of the Year, and he grabbed one of his kids, throws a sandwich across the room and it lands on the floor in the middle. What do you do? Do you tell the kid, don't throw the sandwich? I well, already did it. What are you going to do now? So, what he did is he reached down, picked it up, and ate it because it was wrapped in saran wrap. And the kid <laughs> goes, Hey, that was my lunch. He goes, No, it wasn't. You threw it. <laughs> And it, that's, that's something you wouldn't learn in any classroom, anywhere, at any university, in any teacher prep program. But that's the thing, right? That, that's where we're, we are all first-year teachers again. And we're having to learn. The lockdown was our student teaching. We were learning, trying to figure out how we could do it. And some of us are going to excel. And some of us are going to struggle. And that's okay. It's going to be okay to struggle. It's gonna be okay to figure it out. As long as we have students as our primary focus and trying to do best by them and really trying to, hey man, I'm gonna to try to do this for you. I think it'll, it'll be okay, but yeah, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to not know. It's okay to try to figure it out. Take care of yourselves, get rest, learn as much as you can. So it'll make it easier for you. Because if it's easier for you and better for you, you're going to make it that way for the kids. But that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be tough. But if anybody can do it, teachers can.
0: That's David Morales talking truth to teaching. Thanks again to the NMPED and NEMOGA for its sponsorship. May your professional learning be meaningful and your beverage of choice ice cold. Stay safe from the heat and the virus, and remember to mask up. Thanks for listening.